welcome back to Joker Dan. Joker it's Dan, here we go again. From the foot of Mount Belzoni. <laughs> we are recording tonight. Uh, we've got our Chesterfield Kings, and we are joined once more by good Steely Dan Takes. <laughs> Bad Dan Takes on Twitter. Alex, is that... Are you okay with saying your first name here? Yeah, no I think we I think we did that last time. So uh, it's been a minute. Get cats, cats out of the bag on that one. Speaking of cats, <laughs> uh, we might have a cat joining us. Apparently, you're in the cat room tonight, Alex. Well, it's not. It's just like you know my office. But um, yeah, we rescued a, a feral cat about a month ago, and uh, around. The uh, the evening time, uh, he tends to clash with our the cat that we've had for oh, years. So, so. so you have multiple cats. I do. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Can can you reveal the names of the cats to us? Are either one of them named Don or Walt? <laughs> no, they're uh, Splash and Scout. Splash and Scout. Splash. That's a cool <laughs> yeah. name so for a cat. Splash is uh, the elder. I see. Uh, she was she was on her own for for years and years, and now Scout has come and uh, entered the picture. How's how's Splash um, warming up to Scout? Um, hasn't fully warmed up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's how it goes uh, with cats. It it does. Yeah. Um, it's actually gotten better though in the last like two weeks. It's a little less fighting and uh, a little more like they can sit next to each other and. Get it along. That's that's great. To hear. That's you know that's really mm-hmm. as much as you can ask for in certain circumstances. Did you just find this cat like on the street and then decide like th- this cat's going to come in my home? No. So we have a friend who uh, had been sort of like prepping us to get this cat for a, for a while. So. Got it. <laughs> okay. um, and she she moved away and uh, the cat had nowhere to go. They demolished his like outdoor cat shelter. So oh Jesus. Yeah, even homeless cats we had are no not choice. <laughs> uh, immune to the the tyranny of our modern age. That's true. Uh, and uh, speaking of tyranny of the modern age, and uh, maybe a a brighter view of how things uh, might have turned out in another world, uh, we've we've convened here tonight to follow up on our uh, our initial smashing episode, uh, Joker Dan, everything must go with. Uh, at least one record, and we'll see if we end up getting into two, depending on our uh, our energy levels. Uh, but we're definitely going to focus for the beginning on Donald Fagan's solo 1982 debut, right? 82 debut, yeah. The Nightfly. That's right, Ian. <laughs> I thought I thought you were coming in after that with with some additional color, Evan. No, I I got to be honest. Still, uh, I, what, 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 what are you going to say, Alex? I, I just wanted to say one thing before we dive into the Nightfly. So please, I was please. <laughs> when you guys told me that you wanted to talk about the Nightfly, I, I was um, a little uh, nervous and, and kind of reticent. And the reason is simply because I have such a deep affection for the album and <laughs> was worried that if I talk oh, about it, I'll just come off as, you know, like an incoherent fanboy. Unlike oh, all no, of the no. other Steely Dan records, uh, <laughs> for which you don't have a deep affection and and run a wow. Twitter account, um, it, it <laughs> makes it clear that you're an an incoherent fanboy. 
Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I, I don't know. There's just something about the Nightfly in particular. It's, it's a little bit different. Um, it is. Well, this is why we wanted you on, Alex, actually. It, I'm interrupting you, but uh, speak on the Nightfly. Why is it different, Alex? Why is the Nightfly different from all other night nights? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's not a Steely Dan album. It's a Donald Fagan album. It's his first um, following uh, Gaucho, which has, you know, a completely different tone and uh, and vibe than the Nightfly. But, you know, Gaucho is a little, it's a little bleaker. Um, I wouldn't call it a warm uh, or nostalgic album. And I think, you know, you could say that about the Nightfly, at least on, you know, certain songs. So Very much so. Yeah, I mean, I as much as I love Gaucho and, you know, it's also a, a favorite album of mine. I, it's a different kind of affection than than the one I have for the Nightfly, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good point. It's um it's it's a very like in in some ways it's a like a direct continuation of what was happening on Gaucho, particularly like the sound um and uh the recording methods. This is uh, actually like one of the first records to ever be like fully digitally recorded. Uh, based on the five minutes of research that I did before this, um, which uh, I think is a, a direct follow-on from just the absolute heights of mania that uh, they had devolved to, into by the time Gaucho rolled around. But in other ways, yeah, it's a complete kind of um, like reset in some in some regards, uh, at least as it applies to the topics and the the songwriting and even kind of the musical influences in some regards. Um, it's a really interesting kind of move and unfortunately Don would not really follow up on that for like 11 years until Kamikiriad came out and which is its own kind of like follow-up to the Nightfly but like by that you know it's a decade later it's like I don't know there's a there's a whole 80s solo career of Don's that uh that I feel like we kind of missed out on in some regard yeah it's like after a shot of love uh Dylan was (laughs) shot down by a, a a less than enthusiastic public uh in this well, case, the thing, from what is... I understand, is it's sort of the opposite. Uh, I think that it, from what I've read, uh, it seems the Nightfly was a huge success critically yeah. and uh, commercially it did well. But uh, Donald Fagan was actually kind of um, freaked out by that, considering that it's a record that uh, is so autobiographical. Um, I I just want to point out that for. Uh, laying my cards on the table. I'm relatively new to the record. It's a record like I've always seen in every time I've gone into a record store. I like recognize, but I only have been listening to it. There it is. Beautiful. <laughs> it's a great album cover, uh, which we'll get Alex and later. I just, I, that's a visual gag. Alex and I literally just <laughs> both pulled the LP on Evan and showed it on camera uh, yeah, I for, saw it for you at home. <laughs> well, I, I know how much uh, you guys like to, dig into the lyrics so i made sure to have uh, the liner notes there you ready go. To go exactly tonight. yeah uh there, and there's a lot to dig into lyrically here but uh <laughs> i i guess I, I just want to point out that i'm the novice relatively to the record and so it's been interesting for me um to as you just mentioned like it's very different from a steely dan record but the ways in which it's different to the untrained ear might be kind of hard to catch it's sort of subtly different the way that just the attitude toward the topics that might be um in some ways like just uh to to a 
your man on the street sound like a Steely Dan uh, fair. This record has a bit more of a intimate uh, feeling when you when you actually read into the lyrics. A little bit more vulnerable, maybe. Uh, yeah, very much so. At which, uh, on that note, it uh, the the liner notes actually begin. You know, on the insert here, there's a little like personal note from Don himself up here at the top, which I don't think is on any other Steely Dan record, and like you wouldn't expect to find that anywhere. Uh, and he, he notes, uh, the songs on this album represent certain fantasies that might have been entertained by a young man growing up in the remote suburbs of a northeastern city during the late 50s and early 60s, i.e., one of my general height, weight, and build, D.F. A shockingly personal kind of introduction to a record uh, from a man who, um, uh, personal is maybe not the, uh, and, and intimate are not the first words that come to mind when you think of his uh, talents and uh, proclivities as a musician. Well, intimate, maybe. Rawr, right? <laughs> A lot of the songs in, uh, from Steely Dan are about sex. Everyone's gone to the movies, now we're alone and less. Everyone's gone to the movies, now we're alone and less. <laughs> he is horny. Uh, well, let's uh, let's just get on. Let's get on with it because we've uh, we've got a lot to talk about here, uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun starting with this very first song. In fact, so without any further ado, I feel like there's a different instrument you could have played in- instead. Maybe. This is the one. This is the one that I got. We might need to fix that in post. Get a um, you know some sort yeah, of melodica. Melodica, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Uh. I-G-Y, International uh, Geophysical Year. <laughs> so what is the entomology? What's the history of that term? You want to take that one, Alex? Uh, I believe it's a uh, reference to like, I don't, I think the year is like 1957 or 58. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Like it's late 50s. Um, and uh, I believe it's like, I don't know if it was part of a world expo, but I know it's like a like a lot of scientists like getting together and and you know, um, you know, making sort of scientific decisions of some kind. I, I'm not sure exactly how it like. Let's see. I'm not sure what the actual thing was, but it's I sort can of, I can help us all out here yeah. with, with you, the aid of online. Uh, uh, <laughs> the International Geophysical Year was uh, an international scientific project that lasted from July 1st, 57 to December 31st, 58. It marked the end of a long period during the Cold War when scientific interchange between East and West had been seriously interrupted. Um, I suppose it, it's, it's uh, without reading further, I'm just going to wing it here. It's about the, the world coming back together after the Cold War to uh, really get down to the the beautiful business of making the world a better place uh, and having spandex jackets for everyone. Um, <laughs> we are going to undo that 
We're gonna make up for that lost time. Incredible. We're gonna ha- we're gonna have um, uh, flying cars like we have now, and and this is actually how we got flying cars, how we got jetpacks, how we got um, uh. Uh, what's another thing that we have now? Robot maids like uh, right? Rosie from the Jetsons. Yeah, that's why we all have those. That's why yep. we all have a pill that we can eat that is like a, a, a seven course meal. Mm-hmm. And it's thanks 90 to the minutes inter- from New York to Paris. Yeah, that it's is, uh, how can I forget? Sea by rail. <laughs> it's who, the who reason we have the beautiful the transatlantic trains. high speed train. <laughs> That it's funny how today. how much that is actually part of like contemporary discourse is like the rail, like the high speed rail, and that's, just that's the constant point. back and forth about whether we're ever going to get high yeah, speed rail in this Something country. that was in our wildest <laughs> dreams uh, felt like it was just around the corner uh, fifty years ago, sixty years ago, yeah, um, so almost seventy years ago at this point. I, it's it's getting I, uh, further and further distant. I find this song unbearably sad. <laughs> well, I, I feel like Fagan is mocking the fact that all that time had gone by, you know, from, from 57, I guess, to right. what is this, 82? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we were really nowhere close to having any of these things. But now, like, you can get slap on another year. 40 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I think uh, it's a really beautiful song because the, the spirit of it is so um, effervescent and hopeful and it rings um true in a sort of sad and hollow way after eight years of um obama and so on it's just like another endless cycle it seems we're in of these these moments when everybody feels like oh pretty soon it's all gonna be good and then it's um you know it's almost there we're we are we got to give Biden a chance, but we're, yeah, we're a few years late. But uh, those spandex jackets might be coming down the pike uh, in uh, in the next uh, reconciliation bill. I I think this song is like like is I, I I kind of waver back and forth, and and maybe like have even grown to the point where like uh, I'm thinking that he's doing like two things here simultaneously. One is like you know kind of lamenting all of this stuff, and obviously the state of things as they were in 1981, 82. Uh, but then also like mocking everyone who believed these things back in the fifties, because like some of the lines in here are just patently ridiculous. Evan yeah. <laughs> mentioned the best one, maybe the spandex jackets for everyone. Um, <laughs> at, at the <laughs> uh, also in the last verse, a just machine to make big decisions, <laughs> programmed <laughs> by fellows with compassion and vision. In the in the age of uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook and Peter Thiel and uh, all the panoptic online technology that sounds a little um um i don't know it just it it has a really dark kind of sinister edge that i don't think was probably there in 82 but is absolutely kind of coming to the um the forefront these days for me yeah but it's so um it's so like sweet and and kind of melancholy because it's such a a happy like yearning song definitely and well he's he's romanticizing his child like if you right take that right. liner note about the young man growing up in the suburbs like he's romanticizing that childhood feeling of like there being a future where all these like cool gadgets would like show up when you're an adult and then yeah like just kind of like leaning into that feeling as he creates the song but then we the listener know that it's all like you know, for not. And yeah, it's a 15 year old's <laughs> uh, fever dream from uh, the Jersey suburbs. The spandex jackets, which are, yeah, it's goofy, but then certain lines, you know, like 
will like will be eternally free and, and eternally young <laughs> and what a beautiful world it will be it's it actually has a, a almost like spiritual sense of um of hope and it's such a like a touching altruism and that's uh what's you know we know is <laughs> that's what makes it so so sad get your ticket would- to that wheel in space <laughs> What would even the just machine refer to in 1982? Or Who is even he... knows? Well, I mean, that like that line now, like if you're listening to that song now, it makes perfect sense. When you hear that just machine to make big decisions, you have to think about like Mark Zuckerberg or, or Bezos or something. But like, right. I'm trying to think what he would even be referring Like, is he predicting you know the like the inner i don't know yeah it's a it's a it's a giant like warehouse size <laughs> server farm yeah. that has like like uh 16 kilobytes of ram that you plug little punch cards into and have it spit out answers to the question uh, should we nuke the soviets or should we not and every single time it spits out the answer yes um well, it's funny you also referenced the megabytes because the uh the drum machine which is used uh which yes. like was created for a show <laughs> and i think they made they built a second one for the yep. nightfly it's like a 16-bit like it was one of the earliest drum machines the wendell yes um which you can hear i feel like you can hear the drum machine more prominently on this album than on gaucho very like, much so gaucho they might have i'm not quite like a savvy enough listener to be able to like hear exactly when it's the drum machine versus you know the the live drums but um I don't know. I just feel like the the digital sheen of the percussion comes through a little stronger on the Nightfly. So. Yeah, and it, it also has that really noticeable arpeggiator at the beginning, um, that you know cascading synth line in the background. Um, it's a really clever production, um, IGY. Like it has a, a really nice way of um, welding the lyric to the to the actual music. And kind of creating this cinematic feeling um, where you can imagine a, a young Don in bed, in a rocket ship shaped bed, um, <laughs> dreaming of <laughs> of uh, his, his uh, robot wife. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, musically speaking, I think the, um, uh, you're, you're totally right about that, that that kind of sheen feeling Alex like the the and I, and I think here is where like there's an extension and also kind of break with what came before with the Dan records you know particularly Asia and Gaucho which were obviously the products of just like endless and endless and endless takes in the studio with you know the most expensive session players on on earth uh, but we're still a group of guys in a room tracking stuff live and like you know it, it has a it's it's technically perfect uh, music, but it also has a warm kind of like in the room sound sort of. Uh, and Nightfly is uh, not only like one of the first all digital productions; uh, it's uh, virtually all overdubbed. Apparently, like each and every like take, um, uh, you know, vocal take, instrumental take. There are even parts where like different instruments are blended into the same kind of track. 
um, a couple bass parts in particular, I think. Um, and there's that, yeah, insane Wendell drum machine that uh, uh, Fagan sent a couple engineers to 3M's campus to, like, take lessons on how to program, basically. It's just, uh, it's like, um, if there's anything that's, like, sort of, obviously, it's, like, sort of retro-futuristic, this song maybe more than any others, although there's a couple more that, that kind of follow up on this a little later. Um, but if, there, if there's anything that actually is, like, actually futuristic about this this record it's the way that it was recorded and put together which from 2021's vantage point has its own kind of degree of like retro futurism but it still sounds like i don't know it's it's like a perfect time capsule of like the absolute heights of early 1980s kind of studio wizardry yeah i mean it must have sounded very futuristic when it came out like i mean literally because i don't think people had heard like such a digital sounding recording at that exactly. time it still kind of does. I mean, I don't quite like the, I don't know why, but maybe it's just the level of commitment that they did to like the, this sort of futurism theme, but it still sounds like that arpeggio synth like still has a very futuristic vibe to it. Totally. Like, I, even I think now, it's, so. that's probably accountable just to the kind of supernatural levels of perfectionism that are going on, uh, on this record and all over Steely Dan's, um, discography but uh when you hear fagan's solo stuff it's like pretty clear like that's a big part of his uh vision is is having it be this like preternaturally crisp clear and uh still yeah it sounds like of its time but also technically like it as good as anything that has come out like in the last few years it's it's really quite something yeah yeah i mean I, I think where before like you know uh, don in particular and steely dan in general were looked at as like you know these techno wizards you know embracing like the most cutting edge sort of recording shit you can imagine like now like there, there's almost something like um yeah like i guess kind of throwback about about this approach to like still being so like technically perfect and um proficient with all these gears and gadgets and like takes in the studios there was they they found some fucking magnet in the new york city subway that was like causing a hum in someone's bass amp at one point or something like just honestly go everyone listen is go read the the recording section of the wikipedia page for this record because it's just absolutely fucking insane everything that they went through on this entire album um and uh you know there's uh no spandex jackets for anyone at least as far as I can see. Other lyrics uh, I think are great. The, just the image of uh, the graphite and glitter. I love that. Um, I don't know. I think this is just a be- beautiful song. Like it's, uh, it's, it hits on every level. And I, I, I just think the blend of sarcasm and, and sort of like mourning for a, a more innocent version of himself or a more innocent time uh, culturally is um it kind of hits like a perfect dual note where you've got like the best of both worlds it's it's beautiful on its face and it's also like uh pretty grim and biting on the other on the other side what's next green flower street lu chang her brother, he's burning with rage. Lu Chang, her brother, is burning with rage. 
Who's the who's Lu Chang? He's Lu Chang, her brother. He's burning with rage. Lu Chang, her brother. He's burning with rage. I'm gonna be honest. I don't really know exactly what's going. On. This song is a little bit more challenging for me to make like uh, didactic uh, little remarks about. I think that this song is literally just um, about a guy who has some sort of Asian girlfriend, probably Chinese girlfriend, um, and uh, is, um, you know, in some sort of like uh, Capulets and um, oh, what's the other, what's the other, the other family? Montague. Montague's. Montagues. I was going to say Romanovs. That's not right. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> some sort of uh, uh, a Romeo and Juliet kind of situation uh, with the family that, uh, that leads to Lu Cheng, her brother. Uh, burning with rage. This is a very like... or a or a gang situation because just the, because of the line uh, uptown, it's murder out in the street, right? Like I don't know. I just, yeah, there's 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 criminal action like and also the um, where once we've danced our sweet routine, it reeks of wine and kerosene. That's a good point. Like, something's like going down. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, this song is basically like um, West Side Story, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, these, these are the, the sharks and the jets um, getting, getting into uh, knife battles and uh, dancing groovily on the streets. Uh, but I guess one of the gangs is Chinese. <laughs> that's, that's basically what's going on. I'm going to take your word for that. Uh, that's where I found my Mandarin plum. Um, <laughs> yeah, I always heard as that's where I found my nom de plume. Like if you actually <laughs> listen to the way he enunciates it, it sounds. That's where I found my Mandarin plum. More like nom de plume, which I don't this know. This sounds I guess. like that would absolutely would maybe be something do on that, purpose, right? That would absolutely be something that Don would say. My nom de plume. Yeah, like I mean, it doesn't make sense in the context of the actual like story of the song, but when I just. You know, that was my reaction to it when I heard it for yeah. a while. But uh, only one thing after that we can the, all the agree on yeah. is is the every song on this record basically just has like an immortal hook, and this song is no exception. Like yes, it. it I kind of don't know. I it was hard for me to really read the lyrics um, with great detail <laughs> just by listening because I was tapping my toe too hard to to notice. <laughs> Well, this is one that you don't necessarily, and, and I mean, I think that's actually what's going on in a lot of this record, on, on a lot of the other songs on this record, um, which is maybe something to think about big picture, especially compared to like Gaucho and Asia, um, which are the two obviously like preceding releases that directly inform this is like, you know, I, I think some of the songwriting is definitely like, he's, he's just like not as interested in writing about creeps and freaks and geeks on, on this record as he used to be. Um, which is really great when you get something like IGY or um, uh, New Frontier, for instance, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, uh, you know, some of the other songs, I, like, are absolutely just murderously catchy, like like you just said, Evan, like Greenflower Street, I think. But also, it's like, you know, I don't know, I, I there is almost something that I, like, kind of miss about that, like, super dry and just, like, vicious, sardonic, Steely Dan tone. It just, it's like, it almost feels weird to hear, like, such a straightforward kind of lyric coming out of, uh, at you know being sung by Donald Fagan when I expect it to be about some sort of uh, you know uh, financial criminal or pedophile or something. What what do you think about that, Alex? Like what what um, keeps you from? I assume you 
as you uh, said, lo- you know, you love this record. Do you sympathize with that view, or, or what is there to love about these more straightforward songs from from the man Don? No, I mean, I I think you know, I love uh, I love Asia and Gaucho and and the Steely Dan catalog, you know, for the reasons that you're saying. But I I do love um, the chance to hear Don kind of take a different approach and and sort of like show that he's not as reliant on not shock value, but like, you know, the, the sort of like the scuzziness of, of Gaucho is it can be oppressive if you rely on that too much. And That's I kind stupid. of like the lighter, the kind of lighter touch that this one has. And, you know, I don't think that green flower street is that far from a steely Dan song. Um, IGY. I can't see that one being on Silly Greenflower Street <laughs> yeah, and, and also um, The Goodbye Look. Those two, I feel like, are sort of, and we can, you know, we can talk about The Goodbye Look later, but I feel like there are a couple songs that aren't like, and, and I know that Steely Dan performed um, a few songs off this record as Steely Dan live, like when they reunited in the 90s, and I, and I know that Greenflower Street was one of them. So, yeah, uh, I, I do think this song fits into, you know, this idea of like, um, a suburban kid imagining what like life in the big city is like. Right, exactly. That and that fantasy coming basically from like from movies. You know, yeah. like you reference West Side Story. Like it's yeah. like yeah. it's like a suburban kid's idea of what city life is if you've only ever watched like a bunch of movies. You right. Know? <laughs> or like from just reading, you know, reading and watching movies. So, I think um, that that's a really good point. And and I think that that yeah. gets to something about the record that I find really charming. And and I think is one of its great strengths is like uh, the cover and the and the fact that the songs kind of are so uh, they are kind of naive and like knowingly naive and they lean into that and then you have uh, Fagan on the cover as like this myth mythical uh, radio disc jockey um, like kind of being his own. Uh, spirit guide through his through his youthful reveries it's um it's kind of sweet and and pretty unique i i can't really think of another record where a record that leans so much on like autobiography and also like approaches it with apparently like a lot so much like self-awareness and humor uh ian but i I do think you're right that it, it is less cryptic than you know, the song that I would think of as a counterpoint to this song is Black Cow. Mm-hmm. And one of the, and which also references Green Street. That's the, I don't know if that was intentional or not. Green Flower Street. And then like, there's a, one of the lines on Black That's Cow. That's a good point. Is yeah, like, yeah. Is it here on Green Street? I'm not sure. Um, Down to Green Street. There you go. Because that also is kind of like a sort of, tale of romance in the city or i guess romance gone awry or but it's it's a lot more cryptic than than this which is a you know fairly straightforward um so i i do completely understand like what you mean about it's not as like um yeah like it doesn't give you that it doesn't give you that sort of dual layered you know you know cryptic lyric approach but right yeah 
but at, you know at the same time like i don't i don't think that's a negative thing on on this record and uh you know especially because he didn't really end up pursuing this to at least to the degree that he could have you know with his solo releases because he still only put out like he's only put out three or four solo records like at all in general right it's this kimikiri had sunken condos and then is that it am i missing one and besides uh, the Morph. records Morph the yeah, cat. That's right. How yeah. could I forget Morph the cat? <laughs> <laughs> there's, I mean, he does one every decade, decade or so know, on average, yeah. and he's doing another one. So right, yeah. He mentioned that in that. Uh, the, did you re- yeah. did you read that insane interview that he did with uh, was it Tablet or the for? It was one of those Jewish websites, right? Uh, tablet or yeah, the forward or tablet something. Magazine. Tablet, yeah. One of those Jewish websites. You know the type of. <laughs> oh, you mean all of them? <laughs> You know they own everything, Ian. No, I, I, I've heard someone owns the media. I, I, the, it's a little vague of who, who they really are, but uh, I'll take your word for it on that one. If I can just uh, derail this uh, just briefly, something that is really interesting to me is just how uh, apparently he was really kind of upset. He was like uh, taken off guard by having put out this record that I guess there was a lot building up for him to do this. And then by the end of it, he was like, I, re- I revealed too much. Like the, I, I'm frightened by what I have kind of put out there in terms of an autobiographical work right. of art. Um, it's like a shit poster who has sort of found himself being earnest online and then has to like retreat into the bat cave once more <laughs> That that seems to be what happened to him. I don't know if there's a name for this phenomenon, but um, there's probably a German word for it. Yeah, a German word, um, a Jewish word for this. <laughs> um, but I I don't know. I I find that pretty interesting because when I first heard this record, being you know not like a huge scholar on on the man, I would have never known just by listening to it that it was so autobiographical. And I think you really only get that if you, um, if you bought the, bought the record and read the liner notes and really like absorbed all of the extra, uh, all the context that went around with the purchasing of this record. It does say something about like how, how much thought used to go into putting out a record, like where, uh, I, I've not just put out these songs, but there's, kind of a mission statement and like all this surrounding media. Yeah. I mean, he was very deliberate about it being like, uh, you know, I think that was part of the album rollout or like the, you know, whatever, whatever they call it, the hype cycle. Uh, I guess they probably wouldn't have called it that in 1981, but like branding this is like, you know, Donald Fagan steps out from behind the curtain sort of thing. It was definitely part of, I think the, the idea here and the whole concept record, this like, you know, it's about the night fly. It's about this, like, this mythical like disc jockey well you know we'll get to this when we actually do the title track but like you know he's playing this part of this like you know like uh up all night uh you know uh past his prime disc jockey guy who's uh uh maybe a little world weary perhaps um you know it's um it's just it's really out of character form but in a really cool way i think like and and gives it this really unique feeling in his discography especially considering like we were just saying we don't have too many other, uh, you know, Don records to go off of. He never again returned to the 
prolific, um, you know, working conditions that he was in from 72 to 77, basically, or 76 even, because Asia was, you know, a whole other thing. And Donald never appeared on a cover as Steely Dan, right? And nope. he's, I mean, he's still casting himself. He still has an alter ego, which he can sort of hide I behind. I don't know about hide behind. Yeah, hide behind. Right, um, but the the back cover is really pretty um, strikingly emotive. It's a it's like a black and white high contrast photo of of a suburban house with like one light on in the bedroom like a little like a boy is staying up late listening to the radio in there yeah the boy in the, the boy in that window there is young donald fagan and he's listening to this guy who is old donald fagan who is playing the role of the nightfly you know he's got um it, it's it's really kind of sweet you know it almost makes me like kind of wish especially you know on our stupid bob dylan podcast a man who uh doesn't really do much in terms of like concept albums that whole idea is sort of passe at this point. It, you know, it kind of makes me uh, wish that uh, more folks would go for that in this day and age, at least. Yeah, is this a concept album? Would you say? I I think it qualifies. It's certainly the most concept album of all of Donald Fagan's albums. Wouldn't you say, Alex? Isn't Kamikiri? I don't know much about. Nah, that I guess that's record. a good point. Yeah, no, that one's like Kamikiri is, also... is more explicitly a, a concept album because I believe like the like protagonist of every song is supposed to be the same character. Right. And he's driving his futuristic convertible. Yeah. Like these are all tied under the theme of like this sort of adolescent, like experience of um, growing up um, in the suburbs at a particular time, but the, the nightfly theme itself is not present on every song. So uh, I'm not sure you could, Call it yeah. a concept album, but but it, the Nightfly as a as a title and as the guiding uh, visual that we get, I I really think that it's pretty sophisticated. It's like there's a lot going on there, and it's really interesting to me just as an artistic uh, device of like casting himself as the sort of uh, the the disc jockey who who kind of. L- probably you know, ostensibly inspired him as a young boy. Um, yeah. I was, I've, I was listening to an episode of the Gilbert Gottfried podcast where, um, with, where little Steven was on and they were all talking about um, and reminiscing about the old days of having radio personalities and that this was, this is something that just doesn't exist anymore, but to Wait, hold we're, you. it's us we're we're the we're the radio personalities <laughs> right my god <laughs> it's it's all the <laughs> shitty the shitty banter but none of the actual good music none of the music yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but uh you know to a generation or two of of young men and women radio personalities were like a real um a balm and a sort of solace to um to isolated youths who um it was like your friend who introduced you to all this music and even more so than than the weird uh, parasocial relationships of uh, podcast listeners and podcasters these these people actually invited that if you can believe it they went uh i'm your friend and i'm your buddy and they said things like that whereas you know people pay us 5 dollars for the privilege of pretending they're our friend <laughs> Uh, also, I feel like you had a greater chance of like Donald Fagan didn't necessarily have to become a jazz fan, you know, just right. He kind of 
I feel like it's a lot at that time, it was a lot easier to stumble onto these subcultures because there was a lot less like you could just be flipping through the radio channels one night and you hear this guy or you hear this certain music and right. you're just drawn to it. I don't know if those sort of circumstantial like epiphanies, you know, with, with media um, exist in the same way now because um, you can sort of, you know, handpick the, you know, the, the media that you choose to engage with from an enormous like uh uh, amount of selections that that exist yeah right. literally uh, an endless our... buffet basically in the exactly in, in this era it was there were there were like you know 35 subcultures you could choose from represented by the 35 fm radio stations you could pick up and that that was basically it now like there's so much that you can't even make sense of it all yeah but now every kid listens to the radio all the time and they love to hear all the djs you know thousands of djs they're listening to Right. Yes. All those DJs, the the DJs that we know and are familiar with. Uh, in Donald Fagan's own words um, uh, about these DJs, he said uh, of one in particular, his main man, W.E.V.D.'s Mort Faga, he quote, he was laid back, knowledgeable and forthright. The cool uncle you you wish you'd had. That's us now. We're the cool uncles. Um. <laughs> and all of our listeners are nieces and nephews. Yeah. Uh, Joker nieces and Joker <laughs> nephews. Um, uh, all right. Do we know that the uh the room on the back cover is is young Don? Could it that be the studio where the It could it could be Lester but is? That could be a good point, yeah. I, I find it um slightly unbelievable <laughs> that the studio would be That would in, be more uh, of a pirate radio kind of situation. And this seems like a this seems like yeah. a professional operation here on the front. This is apparently shot in his apartment on the Upper East Side. This oh. cover. Right. With the Chesterfield and the RCA um mic. Yeah, I just love the uh the art direction of this cover. Yeah. It's let's it's see fairly that, simple. Can I see that back cover it, when you when you for the longest time, I didn't even think it was him on the cover, like because it looks, it, it doesn't really look like him, right? Like from an like, like mm -hmm. if you look at it long enough, like you see it, but like when you just glance at it, I don't, you know, he he, especially compared to like all of the shots from '75 and stuff that like you post, for instance, like it, he looks like a totally different guy. Well, it's the hair. I mean, he's got yeah, this crew cut. I guess now we can chat about the cover for just a little bit. Black and white shot. Um, blue text which i think is a really inspired choice uh for no particular reason <laughs> uh he's got the chesterfields he's got a sig in hand that background like the strange like tile or linoleum like what like is peg pegboard pegboard thing, yeah it's got like a got like a clipboard kind of hung on it there's a clock that's pointing to like 409 a.m yeah like a pegboard a.m Pegboard booth and a, a record player. He's uh, casting out a pod. Um, he's podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also a uh, little uh, like uh, what do they call an Easter egg uh, there on the front. The, the he's got a little record uh, favorite of his, Sonny Rollins, the Contemporary Leaders LP down there in the bottom corner, which is presumably what he's spinning, which is actually one of his own like actual Donald Fagan's personal favorite records. Um, you know, this, um, are you, are, do you mean to say that Donald Fagan is the mysterious nightfly? <laughs> he's, he's the Joker man. 
Um, maybe they're one and the same. Uh, let's uh, let's keep going because we've gone 50 minutes and we've gotten through two songs. Um, <laughs> Ruby, 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 baby. Maybe well, not too much to get to. Here. Thankfully, we don't have to go too deep into Ruby, Ruby, baby, baby. It's about uh, Ruby, baby. This is a, this is a cover, um, which uh, I think you know speaks, you know, kind of comes from this this mythical era that he's thinking of. You know, this is just the kind of music that the Nightfly might have been spinning for uh, all the fourteen year olds in their New Jersey bedrooms who couldn't sleep. You like this song, Alex? You like Ruby, baby? You know, I'll be honest. So. When I first started getting into the Nightfly, I remember this was one that I was like, like, why is he doing this? Why is he doing a, you know, like, a, what's it, Lieber and Stoller? Like, you know, the, the the two guys who wrote like Yakety Sax and just right. like a lot of those sort of like <laughs> songs of this era that he's, you know, trying to, uh, to capture. Um, so I just, I didn't get it. But now I, I, I've come around just like, I think simply to the pure like musical like perfection of it and how he just like wanted to take a really simple song, but then he's kind of flexing a little bit here, you know, like he, he takes this kind of simple 60s song, but he turns it into this, like like, the arrangement is like really complicated and it has so many of the like, you know, absolute top, uh, you know, he's got Larry Carlton, Jeff Percaro, uh, Greg Phil and Gaines. Like it has like all the heavy hitters, um so yeah I, I i have grown to to really like this song a lot actually yeah uh, this version of it yeah it's a really again like kind of a um like i guess if you're if you're listening to this record in 82 and just like are you know a person who has listened to steely dan records kind of an out of left field um uh, choice uh, certainly for the third song you ever hear from the first donald solo or excuse me don fagan solo record that you ever hear um, but I, you know, I think in retrospect it makes a lot of sense considering like what he, um, you know, what he appreciated, like the, uh, and I think he mentioned some of this, like in that interview, uh, but he's got like a really almost like Bob level, you know, not to, to go too far into Bob here, but like a, you know, really deep and kind of, um, textured appreciation and, uh, appreciation for and knowledge of musical history extending to, like you just said, Lieber and Stoller, you know, guys who wrote Jailhouse Rock basically, uh, and so even though he kind of made his name as literally, you know, Donald Fagan of Steely Dan, you know what he made his name as, you know, it, um, the stuff that's informing him, it, it's this like kind of common DNA that's like shockingly or maybe um, surprisingly deceptively simple um, or classic. You know, he, he, he appreciates this stuff just as much as he does, you know, uh, any other, you know, more insane kind of influence. Right. It's, it's kind of like when we talk about Bob Dylan being so moved and having this deep reverence for songs that to, to maybe the modern sensibility are just like, uh, just like rocks and stones, st- simple. Like it, it seems like, what, what did you see in this? This is like just the barest, most obvious music. But when you're growing up and that's what's coming out and so, and, and it's new, uh, that it and, and honestly that when there's like when you're living in like the cultural desert of like the 50s you know a time which we like glamorize all out of all proportion like songs with any kind of like wild romantic feeling take on and did take on it seems like a really gargantuan status in the minds of young people because they were 
most of the time just hearing like shrill, insane people who grew up in the depression, like talk about how the reds were going to kill you. <laughs> and, and so like you went, when there was just like these free and happy sounding songs that you, you just discover, like those, those really seem to make a, a big splash. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense in like the context of him trying to capture the nostalgia of this era right? for him to just, you know, at least place one song, like literally, uh, you know, amongst the rest of his own sort of like um, creations. I, I, I like that decision. I think it's interesting the way that that choice kind of like, like the way this song sits like up against um the other songs on this record and i think it like it also just shows like how good of a songwriter he is you know that, right like, that it can stand up with such a you know kind yeah. of like technically perfect pop like it flows like perfectly like in the sequence of this album honestly yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he's almost like kind of showing you his cards with this one and like you know like you know the donald the donald fagan the what did i was reading some chris gow reviews of old steely dan records or something and he called them like um the master ironist or something like that. Um, you know, it's the, the, the guy who does irony better than anyone else. Like, you know, it, this is, it, he, Fagan is showing you his cards. Like now this, it, it comes from Ruby baby, Ruby, 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 but you know, this it's, it's not that, uh, not that, um, uh, you know, challenging to uh, understand. Also something like almost kind of proto Wilburian in this. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it, just in like this, like super glossy, perfect eighties, uh, production of you know a, a like mid fifties kind of doo wop classic uh, that was uh, that was in the air in the nineteen eighties for whatever reason. Well, it's, again, it's the people in the fifties who are the, the it uh, stuck with them. You know, the, like formative music that then later kind of like had its moment again. Right. Yeah, so many of those like sixties guys eventually came back around and did like their little imitations of. Like they're this like I don't know like Crocodile Rock or something like the songs that they grew up on are I don't know like Paul McCartney too also has a lot of like references to like yeah it's a good point doo-wop and and mm-hmm. yeah early sixties pop Maxine is the next song and sure is it's really one of my favorites on here such a pretty I, song just like really just like beautiful song yeah. It it's so wistful and like there's an it if it's ironic it's this kind of irony that it has more in common with uh I don't know I guess IGY has some of this too like it's it's this irony that's actually like not really trying to be cold it's it's like kind of sad and sweetly ironic yeah I mean this one like if if any of these songs I think is gonna be like unironic on this record like this one to me is like this is really like the straightest kind of shot of just like suburban youthful wistfulness you know kind of just like you're you're with your sweetie baby at lincoln mall dreaming of the future and mexico city and manhattan and like you both kind of know it's never gonna never gonna work out for you but like in the meantime you can walk around the food court and pretend like it's all gonna be okay at some point in the future Maybe it is a concept album. Like the more we're uh, going through these, the more yeah, they seem I'm, to fit this very there you simple. Go. Hey. Well, I, I thought your point <laughs> about uh, about Ruby Baby being you know, I, when you really think about how it's a cover, 
like it it and and maybe that's like the night fly himself you know putting on a record and then that song inspires the young uh the young don in his in his race car bed to have this sweet dream about maxine his uh his sweetie baby well isn't this also kind of like a younger kid's idea of like what like the end of high school is going to be like right. how it's so it's romantic like, it's like you know, wouldn't it be nice yeah it is it's a, it's a, it's basically the wouldn't it be nice of the like fagan repertoire because <laughs> um, it's just it's so on the nose like the um we'll drive like the, up to the, the part coast. about mexico city <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice to you'll be my senorita in jeans and pearls <laughs> but first let's get off this highway that's that, that line is so fucking good uh, he's just cruising down like the New Jersey Turnpike, dreaming of Mexico City and his like fourteen-year-old girlfriend. What else does he say? He says, uh, "We'll move up to Manhattan and fill the place with friends." That uh, that line is like, oh man, it, it melts your heart. It's, it's so, a feeling that like so every, you know, precious. Like, yeah, every every fifteen-year-old has has had it at one point or another. Like we're gonna get out of here. We're gonna move to the big city. We're gonna have a bunch of friends around us, and you know, obviously, it ends up. Not working out according to plan for most folks, uh, but it's still fun to dream about when you're, when you're an innocent young pup. If if they're actually in the suburbs of New Jersey, you can almost like see him and his sweetheart like down by like you know the the lookout where they can actually like see the skyline of Manhattan like exactly. listening right. in the background, right. and having this sort of like fantasy thought. The I like the he says Mexico City is like another world. Nice this year, they say. <laughs> Not nice this time of year. Just it's nice this it's year. Good, it's a good year for Mexico. So, you know, uh, it's it's like a, a good vintage of wine. I've never it's, thought of that before. <laughs> it's nice this year. Uh, maybe that's a reference to like crime in the I have no idea. But the, anyway, this is uh, Tony and Carmela um, dreaming of going to, uh, of growing up. Wouldn't uh, be nice style. That will do it for side A of Donald Fagan's 1982 classic, The Nightfly, with Alex at Bad Dan Takes. Make sure to follow him on Twitter if you don't already. The best Steely Dan poster going. Join us next time as we prepare to meet the challenge of the new frontier. Some say that we're reckless. They say we're much too. Tell us to stop before we begun. We've got to hold out till graduation. Try to hang on, Maxine. While the world is sleeping, we meet at Talk about life, the meaning of it all. Try to make sense of the suburban sprawl. Try to hang on, Maxine. Mexico City is like another.
I see. 